Welcome back to the Front End Blog Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about being the first or only designer in your organization. And this week, I have three coworkers, some previous, some current, on the call with me, and they're all really good designers. So I'm excited to hear all of their discussion, and I'm just going to be a fly on the wall and listen. And I'll be here in case they happen to want a developer's perspective. So with that being said, let's introduce Scott. And then we'll go down to Christine and then Lakshman. Product designer. I've you know done agency work. I've done enterprise level work. Been around for a little bit. And now I'm at a smaller company, which is what prompted me to write the article about being the first or only designer in your organization. Hey, everyone. My name is Christine. I am a senior product designer at company called Grin, which is an influencer marketing platform. Previously, I've worked with Scott Lachman and Zach at Clear Capital. And before that, I was at a design agency, Zurb. Um, very excited to talk about Scott's article today. Hey, everyone. I'm Lachman. I'm a product designer at Clear Capital. And, and I've been here for about three years now. And at parts of it, I've been a sole designer. I also do some volunteering work and other company called Opia. It's actually more of a nonprofit uh, to help educate children who need it. And uh, I'm excited to be here talking to you all about Scott's article. Awesome. All right. So I guess we'll jump right into it. So the reason I wrote this article is because in my past experience, like I've always been like part of a team or working on something larger with a lot of people. And now with my, my current you know, position. I'm really at a much smaller company than I'm used to. And just getting around the hurdles of educating about design and where you fit into the process and and all of that within a organization that hasn't really had any designers. I wanted to give some advice to those out there who had, who are in that situation. I don't know if it's good advice. This is just my experience, but uh, hopefully it helps some people. So one of the first things that I tried that I noticed when I got to this organization, they had never had a designer. I didn't really know the people that I was working with within the business didn't really know what the role of a designer was and what we do beyond pushing pixels. And so one of the things I really wanted to do was educate. But before that, I had get them excited about a designer could offer to them. So one of the first things I did just wasn't a project that I was assigned or anything. It's just a thing I wanted to do to show them like, what we could do together, which was I, I did an audit of their app. They have a couple different offerings. I, I picked this particular one. I went through it, found some problems, and basically just did a deck of what we could fix and what we could change and how that affects how we're perceived and you know how that can improve the member experience as a whole. And that was really well received. It got them pretty excited about having a designer on board, all the possibilities. It, it can be overwhelming at first, but... What exactly did you put together? You said a deck. So is that like a PowerPoint presentation of stuff you would want to change? Yeah. So basically I, I went through the app. I I found different key points of the experience that were la- lacking. I put together this deck that just went through slide by slide. We could fix this could be, this could be this. Just solving different problems within the application. I did some visual design as well to you know accompany that. So it was like the most visible mistakes in the app you went through and just showed options for what could be done much better. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of like the small wins for big impact. I think I said that <laughs> in the article. I don't, yeah. You really just want to get those small wins up front to start getting like traction underneath your, your role. When you presented that deck, who did you present that to? To start out, I was meeting with 
a couple of the higher ups was my manager, the marketing manager. This is really bad that I can't remember his title, but I think operations and, and of course, project manager there. I pitched it to all of them just to see if it was something they were interested in and, and, and what I could get out of it. Gotcha. So it seemed like it was a mix of people from every department, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. That's one of the other things I mentioned in the article is getting notice outside your department, I think is pretty important. And we can dive into that a little more. Have you had the same experience doing this with developers? Like the same level of excitement from developers or was that like a, a different experience for you? The developers... So with them, it, it was a little different. They were happy to like start fixing things in the application, but the meeting I had with them first, more like design ops oriented, I, I guess you could say, um, talking about, do we want to use a framework? What framework is that? Starting a design system, how we want to like work with each other, just basically logistical to, to get the ball rolling. The, the first meeting I had with them was talking about the design system and they were really excited about that because having this set of components and reusable pieces cuts down their work time quite a bit. And as we started using it there, I got a lot of comments about how much better it is to build new things and, and fix existing things when we have you know the design system in place. So I think once you generate excitement, you get some traction going. And at that point, you want to start educating people about what you do. Uh, a lot of times, and I know we experience this when we all work together on a team, people will think that all we do is make things look pretty. And I remember a couple of times when we, we would run into somebody upstairs and be like, oh, this is our design team. They make everything look great. And it's, it's more than that. And that's, I think it's really important to let people know design is more than just the visuals. It's how it works, the emotions that are that you feel when you're using it and the experience. So the way I did this was I just started running workshops because I can you can talk to somebody to your blue in the face. They won't really get it until they start, you know, seeing it and experiencing that themselves. So running workshops, I think was really valuable because I could include people who, you know, m multiple people who are not designers or engineers and get them into this kind of design thinking cycle. And, and it takes a little bit for them to start taking that on their own, but I definitely see like change within the way people think about how we solve problems over at least the year. So, yeah. How do you know what kind of workshop you should run with your team? Are these always prompted by a project or when do you figure out when's the right time and what to do in a workshop? I think anytime you need to solve a problem, you can run a workshop. Um, I think I did one that didn't even have to involve me, but it was like prioritizing backend projects. I wrote down and prioritize everything. I'm just running people through these exercises. With the projects, it really depends on what's needed. If it's something small, I probably won't run a workshop. If it if it's something big and, and we have a lot of clarity around what we need to do and, and what the goal is, I might run a workshop to see what the desired experience is to come out of that and we'll get into the details. If we don't have a lot of clarity coming up front, I might run a workshop to help clarify things. Like, what is the goal of this and what do we really want? Can you go into a little more detail about what exactly you do during the workshops and things you would recommend to do? for other designers? Some of the workshops are exercises from design sprints. Some of them are exercises from shape up, but mostly what you're doing is you're getting different perspectives together 
and hearing from them all without having a, like when you have a regular meeting and it's just a discussion, you're going to have somebody who's more vocal than everybody else. And for the most part, you're going to hear from that person more than you will the quieter person. And what you're trying to do here is get everybody's input equally. One of the workshops I like to run a lot is the lightning decision jam that was I think AJ and Smart came up with this kind of exercise and it's basically taking something that exists, a problem or an application or anything, figuring out what's working, figuring out what's not working, prioritizing what's not working, and then plotting that out on the, the level of effort versus the impact. I, I find that one really really useful in a lot of situations. I ran that one with with the business on business process. I ran that one with developers on our process together. I think it's very it's very flexible. It's very it's very what's the word I'm looking for? Flexible works. <laughs> you called that the lightning decisions jam, was that right? Yeah, lightning decision jam. It's uh I can get you guys a link after. What do you do in that workshop? So the way you start this workshop, I open a mural. So that's whiteboard application. On that is this boat. And the boat kind of signifies what's working and what's not working. So on the top, above the water, there's you know, the sails, which is pushing the boat forward. And we've got all the good things. We take stickies and we put all the good things that are working up by the sails. And then we talk about those. So it's, it's good to talk about those. And then underneath the boat, there is an anchor. And that's the stuff that's holding you back. And so that's where you put all the things, all the, uh, the pain points, all the problems, that uh, things that are not working right now. And, and the reason why this works better than just talking about it is you just get everybody's input at once. You can see, once you get everybody's pain points onto the whiteboard, you can see where a lot of the intersection is. So something that everybody has written down is going to be something that you probably want to address because it's a problem for everybody, but something that maybe one person wrote down, it, it could still be a problem, but maybe it's, it's a little lower on the uh, priority. And so once you do that, you do a voting session. I, I actually don't know if this is in the official like playbook for this, but I do a voting session on the different pain points to see which ones are most important to the group overall. And then we take those and we plot those out on an axis, which is level of effort versus impact. So things that are high level of effort and high impact are larger projects. Things that are low level of effort and high impact will be some, you know, things that you want to tackle right away, if that makes sense. So you mentioned it might not be exactly like what the playbook says. What playbook are you referencing? Like, where did you get this from? They have, so there's like, they have an article. <laughs> I could find it somewhere. I think Mural has an article about how to do the lightning decision jam and they, they have a PDF about how to do it. It's one of my favorite workshops. To do. Other workshops are like the ones that we've run actually that are come, they come from the design sprint where we're idea generation, the, uh, the crazy eights <laughs> and sketches on the, on the sticky notes. Those are always fun. I like that when those are more appropriate when we know when we have a lot of clarity of what we're going to do and it's all about how we're going to do it. How have you, are you remote now? Like your team? Yeah, we're all remote. 
we were going to go back in the office, but that has changed. Got it. <laughs> Have you run these workshops remotely? It sounds like you use Mural and other tools, but do you have any tips on if you're going from like in office to a remote environment? What are some tips for running a workshop virtually? Yeah, going remote was definitely a transition, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I, th I think one, find a good virtual whiteboard for you to use. We use Mural, but there's a bunch of different ones out there. You can use Envision Freehand. They added a bunch of workshopping stuff recently, like sticky notes and all that. Miro is another one that I think a few of the developers use for mapping out flows and all that. But definitely get yourself a, a good wipe. The other thing is just to get, I, I think it's just going to take practice. Like the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. I think the first remote workshop that I ran, I wasn't the most comfortable because usually you're like in a room with the people and, and you have more, more presence. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I did find it harder to keep people on track when we're remote, but as you continue running them, it gets easier to remind people like, this is the direction we're going. This is what we're talking about or, or be more comfortable cutting off conversations that are like going a little bit too, you know, far away from what you want to focus on. So Scott, I have a question for you. If you're a sole designer in a company, it might be hard to run a workshop entirely by yourself. Do you have any tips on how to get started or pitfalls to avoid while you're doing that? I think definitely you need some people, I, I don't want to say on your side because it's not an us versus them thing, but you need some people that, that are there to help you. Uh, for sure. I was very lucky. I have I have a boss that is very in tune with experience and design. And he was there to help me guide the first few sessions. And he helped me, you know, acclimate to the people there and, and gave me tips on how to run these. And, and he still does when I'm trying out new processes. Yeah. I've got a question about that. Question. I don't know if it did. Uh, so I'm curious, if you're the only designer in an organization, how do you even go about setting these up initially? Would you just send out an email and just list some bullet points as to what's going to be in the meeting? Or do you have a call that you invite everyone to just to tell them about what's going to happen in the workshops? I'm just curious about your process. Like, so first, don't just invite people. I learned that real quick. Definitely make friends with the team leads of the people, the team leads of the teams that you want to work with. So if I needed somebody from customer management you, I need to ask that manager first instead of just inviting someone from their team. But yeah, basically it's planning, letting people know who have a little more standing in the company that you're working with, letting them know that you want to run this workshop and going over it before you start doing it. And then sending out that email with a calendar invite, explaining what's going to happen, why you're running this workshop, what you're trying to get out. I've done this many times. I think I did this when we worked together too, is I didn't really explain why we're running the workshop. And you know how that turns out. People don't know what's going on. And so I think it's really important to inform them what we're trying to get out of this and why. Yeah. So with that being said, could you give maybe like a little summary of start to finish? Like, okay, this is what you should try to get out of a workshop. And these are my top three go-to things that you should do in a workshop if it's your first one. Like some of a quick summary would be good. What you're trying to get out of the workshop is either a decision or more insight. In the case of a decision, you want to decide, is this the way we want to go? Are these, is this the experience that we want to use? Are these the, the business requirements that, <laughs> that we want to go with and, and shape the boundaries of this project? The other one, when you're gaining insight is you want to come out of that meeting with an idea of what to do next. A good example of this is, so we, we do 
like financial coaching at my current job. And we were talking about doing video coaching. And so I did a workshop about how this video coaching experience would work. And we got to this point where, okay, what service are we going to use? Which had never been thought about until I asked that question. And, and we were planning, they were planning on using Google. So we tested it and it didn't actually do the things that we needed to do based on what I asked them that we, how we want this experience to play out. So in, in that instance, I didn't really gain a decision on this project. I did, but we did gain insight of, okay, we need to do more research on what service we need to do, what, what service we want to use on this, on this particular project for the, you know, video calls. So it's things like that, that, that continue to move it further down, but maybe aren't, it, it could send you back in the cycle of iterate a little more. And then as far as, well, what was the other one? Top three. Yeah. If someone maybe hasn't ran a workshop before, or they're just coming into an organization other than like the lightning decision workshop, is there any others that you would highly recommend to do in the first workshop? Any, the design sprint exercises are really great. They have a lot of resources on how to run them. So those would be a good first workshop to try and run. Maybe not a full design sprint because that's three to five days. <laughs> and if you're not up to that, then, I, you know, that, that can be hard to schedule. I found with, within bigger organizations, the lightning decision jam is great exercises in shape up, which is a book, uh, written by the guys at Basecamp. I found those to be really great. It's, but those are more like the shaping exercises are more suited for a like smaller group. So if you have a smaller group, you might want to explore the shaping exercises. One of the things that I've used to help educate more alongside workshops is starting a book club. And you, know, you guys have experience when we were together, we did our book club at clear capital. I started another book club at the place I'm at now where we basically read different product process books or just different stuff that's relevant to us. We read shape up recently hooked and it's good. Even if I've read the book before, it's good to just get that discussion going between people. It might give them insights. It might give you insight. I thought it was really, it's almost like a bonding exercise too. But yeah, I don't know how you, how did you guys feel about the book club when we did it? I thought it was awesome. But I think that I feel like when we were at Clear Capital, we had a little more time. I, I don't know if I would be able to like realistically get my entire product team to want to read a book with me, like, and kind of meet up every week to talk about but i think the learning that can be done as a team can be very impactful how often does so do you currently do one with your team yeah we don't do it weekly <laughs> and we take we certainly take breaks we're not currently meeting and doing the book club right now. but it's even if you're not doing it every week like we did before it's great to get together and just discuss everybody's thoughts and where they could fit where things that we're learning from this book could fit within what we're doing at work what i really liked about a book club was it helped you know people get excited from outside our immediate group having conversations not just about design but also things outside of design i know the first book that we read was lean in it helped shine a light on what actually is how, how bad it is for women in the workplace and it really helped me understand that i wouldn't have otherwise and i feel we got to have a lot of conversations with people outside our immediate group and we all you know discussed it and they brought a lot of insight into issues that they have shared or uh, seen on their own end and um, i think having that bonding with our teammates can really help in other aspects of 
our day-to-day -day work as well. Even if these books are not just about designs, but outside of it, I feel it really helped. It surely did for me. I still remember a lot about what we discussed and wish we had gotten to do a lot more of that when we were working together. But I'm glad you introduced that and I feel it is essential for at least bonding and being more open to our team, basically. Yeah, I found it, it helps people feel involved within the team. It, it I, f I feel like it does a lot for the, the team morale. And I guess that kind of, that's a good segue for, you know, the next part of what I talk about in the article, which is like gathering support. And if you don't have support in your role, it's going to be hard to do anything. But I, I think we've experienced some of that. I, I will not go <laughs> super far into that, but I think gathering support for sure starts with your team. Um, and in the case of being the only designer, it's going to be developers for sure. When they're the ones that are working on these things with you and they have as much of a desire to make really great products or, or really great experiences just as much as you do. And I think it's really good to leverage that and get their support. There's been a number of things that I've wanted to try that I probably wouldn't have been able to with without their without them wanting to try it as well. So I think that's super important. Also, just having whoever whoever is directly above you, having their support is super important. I got super lucky with my current job and my boss is totally great. Very into doing what I wanna what I wanna try out, the thing the the way I wanna run projects, the what I wanna do in terms of design, what I wanna do in terms of like design ops. So that's been really great. So Scott, in your article when you talk about how it's in in your position it's important have your boss's support and that you should try to make things easier for them without asking when possible. And my question was, how do you know what it is that needed? And personally, I feel asking more questions help shine a light on what exactly I need to work on. But could you give us a few examples of what you meant by making things easier for them? So I think anything, anything you can take off their plate or something that you see is a problem for them you can that you can address just help them do it without having them have to ask you or do it without having to ask if they want you to do that i find that the more favors i do for people the more likely they are to support me in in efforts that i, I want to you know do within the workplace so what it's telling us you know outside of your design realm anything that can help them in the day-to-day -day work you should be able to so what i'm wasn't sure of us, does it, how do you know that is what they want? As in, when it comes to design, I know what our goals are, what, what the needs of the product is, and we know what to do long-term, right? If when you're starting out, you might not have to be able to have a design system, but you need to build towards one to build in, build at scale. But when it comes to ex helping a specific person or a lead, how do you know these are things that can help them? How And how do you do those without asking, basically? I think a lot of it comes down to process. I think a design, setting up a design system with the developers without having to involve your boss so that things start running more smoothly, that's a thing that you're not, they're not asking you to do and you're not asking them if it's okay to do it. You're just going off, you're doing it and you're setting it up so it's easier for you, easier for your coworkers and easier for everybody. So things like that. So it, it does have some benefit to you, I guess, but I can't think of another example right now. <laughs> Sorry. I hope that I hope that is sufficient. 
No, that makes sense. I was wondering if there were things that's outside of design that we might be able to help. The design system is a perfect example in that it helps all of us. It's it it helps foster an environment where anyone can create. Sometimes there's been a need, even at Click Capital, where people use existing components just put together a, a product just to verify if the need is there for something like that. And things that usually involve designers, but we might be occupied with another more important project. And at that instance, other people can help. And that's definitely a good example of helping other people without asking, I think. Yeah, I think just go for those things. I, I guess another good example is like when we, when we did that mobile app at Click Capital. <laughs> Do you remember that, Zach? Team Black. Yes. Yeah. We basically built that prototype. You built it. I just gave you icons. But <laughs> you designed it. <laughs> yeah, I did design it. Doing something like that as like a proof of concept, it's going to differ by the person, but yeah, just doing cool stuff. I think it's hard to strike a balance sometimes with developers and designers because you might have a designer who wants to do something really fancy and then the developer maybe doesn't have time and they just tell you they can't do it or it's not possible which isn't true. They could do it if they spent more time. So I feel like having that good relationship with the designer where you can be honest with them. Like, hey, that's really cool, but it's going to take me two weeks. If we didn't have all that fancy stuff, it would take me like four days. Is It's like better to be upfront and honest. And if the time permits, do it exactly like the design team wants because they've probably thought it through a lot more than you as the developer. Yeah. And I do think that relationship there is super important. I usually like within the first week of, of joining an organization, I figure out which developers I, I vibe with and working with them ends up being a lot easier than, than normal. So I, I think if you could find that, utilize it. <laughs> For sure. And developers, at least from my time at Tech Capital, I feel they have a really good perspective that's sometimes unique. That the, see things away that I usually don't. And during workshops, I found it was really helpful. And some of our designs did come out of ideas that developers shared. And it doesn't matter if it's front end or back end or any other type of engineer, but having their support and brainstorming ideas with them really make them feel more involved. And at the same time, benefited us a lot by getting the best ideas from a wealth of experience that these developers share. That's a good point. That mm -hmm. reminds me of an example. I remember there was something we were building and it was a modal because I think Scott said something like, I want it to be instant. And I had to explain to him like the way that we actually have our app set up, you could go to a new page and it's just as fast because of the way our app is set up. So that's like a good example of like communication across can really help design, possibly design something differently than they originally thought. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I do remember that. So... I guess the next thing is increasing your influence within the organization. And this is something I, I know Christine had questions on when we we're talking before this. And it's really, so what I mean here is like getting yourself noticed outside of, of your team, outside of technology, inserting yourself in, into different things that you can solve. One example is at my current organization, I, I have run workshops for other teams. One was the uh, the CSM team. They work with customers. They wanted to figure out a new way to engage people. And so I I ran one of those workshops, one of the, actually the Lightning Decision Jam, 
where we put up what was working and what wasn't, and then generated new ideas on what we'd want to try and saw where all the you know crossover and then figured out what to do from there. So I think any place, any team that you can help solve a problem with that gets you in their good graces. And when you want to, when you want to do something specific within your application or product and you need their blessing, they're more likely to, to do that. Okay. So as a sole designer, there'll always be a ton of opportunities to make things better, but there's always a limited amount of time. So how do you, you know, go about prioritizing and deciding these are the tasks you would want to accomplish first? Yeah, basically that's it. I think you could do the same thing that's in that exercise where you're prioritizing by impact versus the time you need to actually execute the solution. Lay out the things that you want to do, figure out which ones are going to take you the most time or or the most energy, and figure out the ones that are going to be the most impact to the experience that you're trying to build or the, in the product, and then go from there. I also have a question that's related to being the first or only designer in your organization, but how much emphasis would you put on documentation of like your process or your tools? Do you think that is a priority for you or is it important for the team? For me personally, it's something I should probably be a lot better at, but I think it, it is important to to document stuff. Are you talking about as you're going along in the project, documenting the things that you're deciding and all that stuff? Or are you talking about documenting your process, just your process? I'm more asking about like just the process. And if you were to grow the team, would I imagine that you would need some kind of documentation. So I'm just curious, like when would you focus on that? Would you wait until that the team is going to be growing? So I haven't documented this anything so far about how we run things. We are working on twice now. We've done more shaping of what our process looks like and a natural next step to that would be documenting that. The hard part about that is it doesn't capture how flexible the process needs to be. It's not always cut and dry, but it, it is good to formalize like the higher level stuff. This is more regarding, you know, being the first and sole designer in a company. So eventually you will have a lot of work to do and there'll be in a point where you would need to hire more designers to expand the team and also support more products that might come in your way. So what do you look for in a person when you're hiring people in a new startup where design is still at its infancy. Well, that's when I call you guys and tell you that we should work together again. That's a tough question. I, we're not looking to expand in my current place, so I don't know what that looks like. But Christine, I know you have experience there, if you have any insight on that. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, at least for us at Grin, a big part of the hiring process is like culture fit, like at our company. And I believe that this is true too. Like the most important thing is you like the people that you work with and a good place to start would be reaching out to your own network, people that you work well with and that you can collaborate with easily. I think another thing to consider is what you're looking for on your team specifically. So something that might be good for you to consider if you are growing the team is what skills are you missing on the team? What do you think could be improved? And then try to hire for those skill set. But I think in the end, it's mainly what does your team need? How, who do you feel comfortable working with? And of course, 
making sure that you hire talented people who can improve your product. That makes sense. It was really hard for us for a while, and we took our time when it came to hiring, when it was just me. And uh, we took a while to find the right people, and we did, you know, with both of you. Finding people with the right skill set, making sure, like you said, figuring out what the team needs, which was a lot at that point. And you both had a wealth of experience working across a lot of companies, and you've been through a ton of uh, different, how do I say it, areas and know what a product needs. And I think uh, basically understanding what your weaknesses are uh, as a person, as a team and hiring people who complement that was really helpful for us. And and a a lot of stuff that we did are still being used right now, starting from the design system, voice and tone guidelines. A lot of these things have been essential in giving design a voice here. And and, as we continue to work, I'm sure We'd be using a lot of it and improving on it as well. Are you guys still using the design system that, that we oh, came, yeah. came we, on with? We, we are. And it's we are actually rebuilding it again through Tailwind. Or actually, it's a little too early to say that we are planning to rebuild it through Tailwind. And we are focused a lot more on accessibility. Right now, there's a lot of accessibility issues that we're trying to fix here. And uh, we are still completely using it. It, it would be... With the very same that you had left out, except, you know, improved in accessibility areas. And you know, with that being said, next week, we are talking about Tailwind with Chris. So you might have to join. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, we, I've been speaking to Chris a lot about it. And he's loving Tailwind as far as I can see. I think Christine uses Tailwind as well. We don't use it yet. Our team is starting to use some of the utility classes, but we are still... I don't know if it's messy right now. We're on this other library. We use Ant Design, which are very like limiting in terms of customization, which is why we're, our team wants to bring in Tailwind so we can customize things a little bit easier. But yeah, we'll not to goes. go off on a huge tangent, but the people behind Tailwind have made this thing called Headless UI. And it's like an unstyled first approach to component libraries. So instead of all of the current stuff, for the most part, you go look in your browser. If you have to overwrite any style, like a lot of the times it just still includes that CSS and there's none of that with headless UI. It's unstyled from the start, but it includes a whole bunch of stuff for you that you don't have to think about. Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's the way to go with component. I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Foundation was built to be that way too. I think foundation is probably a little more restrictive, but I hate libraries that have like tons of CSS already applied to the components. That's the problem we're having with That's great if you just want that to be your design. (laughs) Yes, true. uh, It depends on what you're looking for. (laughs) I think you just watched some some videos on foundation. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. I mean, it does. I haven't kept up with it. It hasn't been updated, I think, in a long time. All right. I just want to say thank you all for being on here. And hopefully you guys want to make this more regular and we can have like design talk every month at least. That would be cool.